Mindset Game Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. Before we get started with this week's show, first off, let me take this opportunity to welcome back the regular listeners, and if this is your first time listening to the show, I hope you enjoy this episode and decide to subscribe to the show. And on today's show, I've got Mike Daggett, the founder and CEO of Operation Fat Dag, and also podcast host of Wise Advice. So welcome on to the show, Mike. It's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Uh, so before we delve into today's episode, Mike, can you uh, divulge how you set up Operation Fat Dag and why you wanted to become podcast host? Yeah, absolutely. So thanks for that opportunity. It's, it's really interesting how, you know, I think most people in life, uh, you do what you're passionate about, and that's where you're going to have the most success. And and early on, I've been military now for for 26 years, been in the, the Air Force for the United States here. And there came a point in my journey, in my career, where all of a sudden uh, I wasn't doing well in fitness. And then the fitness test was getting the better of me. I would lose just enough weight to pass it. And then as soon as I would pass the test, I would gain the weight. And, and what I realized is that was not a healthy way to live. And, and I didn't really care because everything else in life seemed to be going so well, but the Air Force certainly cared. And the Air Force got to a point where they said, okay, Mike, it's, it's time. You either need to get in shape or get out. And so as I had this conversation with my leadership, you know, I didn't really know where to turn. And so I kind of was under this impression that there was nothing else I could do. I was just destined to be overweight. I was destined to be, you know, fat, for lack of a better term. And uh, I just kind of accepted that. And and so the military does a really good job. I, I've spoken to this many times. But the military does a really good job. If I would have come to them and said, hey, guys, I have an alcohol problem. There's a whole tool and, and a tool chest of resources you can provide to help me with an alcohol problem. If I said, hey, I, you know, I'm, I'm having a rough go and, and I'm potentially suicidal, there's immediate intervention to come help you. And if I said I have a gambling addiction, they say, hey, we can help you with that too. But, but when I said I'm overweight, the only real answer the military offered was, well, eat less and work out more. And certainly, you know, I, I equate that to, to going to a gambler and say, well, if you have a gambling addiction, well, next time you go to a casino, why don't you just place a smaller bet? You know, it's the same thing. That mindset, that logic doesn't seem to work. So I got very fortunate in my career. And, and so I, I really I dug deep and I started focusing on, on just getting in better shape and, and changing my life and eating healthier and being healthier. And when I started to have a little bit of success, it just kind of snowballed. And I realized once I finally passed this fitness test once and for all and finally completely changed my life and, you know, I ended up losing 91 pounds. My life is completely different. I didn't just pass it to just to kind of barely squeak by. I now get an excellent score on my fitness test. But what I realized is that there are so many members of the military who are in this exact same scenario where, where they don't know, you know, what to do. They don't have the resources and the tools. And so once I finally saved my career and saved my life, it just made the most sense to turn around and look for other people who need that help, the help that I didn't believe was truly out there, at least in the way that I could, could have found it. And we said, you know what, let's start an operation. Let's start a nonprofit, operationfatdag.org, where, where we're now going to facilitate the retention of those in the military who are struggling with their fitness, who are struggling with their overweight you know, problems. We're going to reach a little deeper than them. We're going to reach all the way into the household so that the entire house becomes healthy. And we're just going to offer that offering hand 
to say, you know, you don't have to struggle with this alone. This, there's more to this than just eating better and going to the gym. And so we're going to provide that resource. And it just, it made the most sense to just kind of, to roll my journey into helping other people because, you know, I'm so fortunate for everything that I was able to, to finally accomplish once I finally got the weight off. And I want every single person on the planet to be able to experience that same thing. I get where you come from. And what, my listeners won't get, Mike, is also I grew up in that military environment. So what I have probably seen growing up, and I don't know if you would attest to this, the Air Force PT exam has been kind of looked down upon by the other armed forces in the US. And do you think it's because of that mindset, per se, by that branch of the uh, military that has kind of put that the servicemen in the, into that position in the first place. Yeah, you know you're you're absolutely right. If you ask a Mar- someone in the Marine Corps what they think of the Air Force fitness test, they would laugh at us, right? And uh, but the Air Force fitness test is no joke. It's a mile and a half run. It, it's push ups and sit ups in a timed. You know, have to do them in a minute. My mile and a half run time has to be you know twelve to thirteen minutes, which isn't exactly smoking, but it, but it, you have to legitimately practice at it. And so, so you're absolutely right. You know, other branches of the service, they kind of look at us and, you know, and then those in the Air Force. But, but what we all know together is every single branch of the military has people who aren't meeting the standards that they set. So it's not just a, here's a standard. Can you hit it? It goes a little bit beyond and says people in general struggle with their health and fitness. It doesn't matter what standard you give them. There are people who aren't going to meet it and need tools and resources to find a way to, to get better at taking care of themselves. But does that come back to, if we maybe demonize the American way of life, does that start there being the problem? <laughs> That's a great question. And, uh, you know, I, I hate to admit this, but, but of course, right? And so you look at other countries around the world, and, and I think America has an, an epidemic right now, and, and it's called obesity. And, you know, we have a fast food joint on every single corner. I remember one of my deployments years ago, uh, we went into um, – we went down into, I think it was Turkey where we were at, and, and we ended up staying uh, you know, in the local economy, and we were looking for something to eat, and, and I asked the shopkeeper at the hotel, I said, hey, where is there, is there like a McDonald's around? Because that was kind of my, my craving and my addiction. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, it's just down the street, uh, just a short little walk, and it ended up being a couple-mile walk. And in nowhere in the world, in, in America, we would not walk two miles to get to a McDonald's. We're going to hop in the car, and we're going to drive 500 feet to get there. But, but across the globe... You know that we Americans, in a lot of ways, we have so many resources and so many things at our fingertips that it's enabled us to kind of have this lifestyle that's not healthy. So we have to take it one step beyond, and we have to actually manage a completely new lifestyle that maybe some of the rest of the world just kind of takes for granted. You know, because you know, I think you know, I don't have any data on it, but statistically, I, there's probably more cars in America than some countries have people. You know, and it, it's crazy. But what what from a Say fitness perspective, I think probably some people that aren't involved in say the military psyche and involved in, involved around that kind of way of life would probably see it as polar opposites. As how how can somebody in the military get into that fit, kind of how would I put it conundrum, so to speak? 
Yeah, you know, it, that's exactly right. And that's one of the struggles that I battled with early on is that, you know, if, if you look at the stereotypical, which, of course, we know we don't put people into blocks, right? But if you look at that stereotypical definition of an American military member, you don't think at all of someone overweight. You think you think G.I. Joe, you think Rambo, you know, you think uh, all those, you know, great American heroes. And, and that's just so far from the truth. But it's that stereotypical mindset. And so so you now when you take that folks who are in the military, we know those stereotypes exist. And when we become out of shape because of our lifestyle and, and maybe some medical issues that are going on, when we get out of shape, now you're adding one more level to the mindset of you've, you've really now defeated yourself and, and you're living day to day as a quote unquote fraud you know, thinking that, hey, I'm in the military. Uh, you know, in my case, I was 263 pounds. You know, nowhere in the world. I was a military recruiter. I still am. I, you know, I would look at a kid who was 195 pounds, and I would tell him he was overweight and he couldn't join the military. And he'd turn around and look at me and say, but you're 263. You know, he didn't know my weight, but you could certainly tell I wasn't 190. And, uh, yeah, it, it messed with your mind. And so so when you take this this image that, that the, mil- the American military member is supposed to lo- live up to, and they don't is now you have a double-edged sword of, of they're already struggling, which would what put them overweight. And now there's, there's very few resources available to help them, at least that they can find their own. And then the third mix is now you're messing with their mind by labeling them as, as something that they're not. Uh, and it really sets up the stage for, for bringing us on board to say, hey, we got this. Let, let's go ahead and reach in and help you out. But, Mike, could you not go a step further with obviously with how warfare has become more so – behind the computer, so to speak, and, and, and that's so the soldier is, you could say, a little bit redundant because you're not having to be deployed into a war zone. Everything can be done sedentary, sat in front of a, a computer screen. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right there, right? Because, you know, the, the battlefield is completely changing. And so, you know, with unmanned vehicles and with unmanned aircraft is is the pilot no longer needs to climb into the cockpit. You don't have to fit into, you know, that small, tiny little airframe. And so there is that aspect. And, and, and with so many other things that we can do remotely, you're right. And so, you know, we look in the recruiting stage. Some of the kids we look for right now are, are not the guys that can run the mile and a half in six minutes. They're, they're the guys that can twiddle their thumbs as quick as possible and plus 18 different buttons, you know, because they're, they're very skilled with their hands. And, and that's a very valuable trait. But it still goes back to I think the military is somewhat adopting, you know, a mindset of a performance based fitness test based on the job that you're going into. But all of that aside, is there's really, you know, we go back to the epidemic of obesity in America, and we need to say, you know what, wait a minute. Living healthy and happy should be the goal, regardless if you can do your job or not. That that certainly is important, but, but if you're now having health issues that are keeping you out of work, even if your job doesn't require you to run, but, but your health isn't such where you can make it to work because you're taking sick days uh, and you're just not available, then that still becomes an issue that needs to be addressed. But... Would you not argue, Mike, that that's kind of the military looking at as a short-term fix with them just supplying that fitness test will suit the job needs as opposed to what most fitness professionals, and I think what you're arguing, Case B, is that we should look at probably educating people and looking at giving them stuff that they can implement long-term. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, and, and that is that is the goal, and that, and that kind of is, you know, it goes back to that, 
little bit of a flaw in our system is that everything we want to do, and that's what I was doing for so many years, is I was just short-term term able to pass this fitness test, and I would go back to my unhealthy lifestyle. And then as my age started adding to that, you know, the unhealthy lifestyle with the age creeping up, both of those were the double whammy to make it even more difficult to to have the success. And and so, no, we, we need to find – you know, you're, you probably know this as much as anybody is that your mind – controls your entire process. And if, if you live healthy and you eat healthy and you feel healthy, you can almost do anything on the planet. But but if you're living an unhealthy lifestyle, you know, all of that, you know, that negativity that floats in your brain and that, that negative self-image that you're going to have, it eventually catches up to you. You know, I'm a big fan of, of the body positivity movement. You know, you have people who are who are celebrating their body at every shape and size. And, and that's a huge accomplishment for our culture. But at what point do we have to still understand that there is a medical risk associated with being severely overweight? You know, you can love yourself. You absolutely need to love yourself at all shapes and sizes because that's how you can then determine what you want to – how you want to be or how you want to live the rest of your life. So it doesn't matter what you know, what physical ailments or what 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 size you are. You gotta love yourself, and then move beyond that. It's okay now that I'm happy here. How do I want to make the change, and what do I want to do differently? And you know, and and at that point, you know, that becomes someone who's mentally tough, and they can do anything they want. And that's exactly who we probably want on the battlefield. But it's a difficult one because you, you look at that, Mike. It's you would say the military have a different kind of mental fortitude because of what you have to go through with, with basic training. Yeah, and, you know, and we, we look for those, and we, and we grow those people, right? So not everyone who starts basic training comes in with that warrior mindset. And, uh, you know, and again, it, you know, it goes back into a little bit of a, of, of a misconception of, you know, again, you know, you believe from the standpoint of, of every single military member, you know, is, is that Rambo G.I. Joe person. And there are some very critical jobs that we do that don't require that skill set, but we do still require you to, to have the warrior's mindset of, of I'm going to take care of the mission at all costs. I'm going to do the best in my job. I'm going to be be very successful. And that's where the mindset is grown and developed. And you need to, to cultivate that mindset to keep them, uh, to keep them really engaged in the mission. But why do you think, that mindset lets people down from a health perspective, though. Well, I think, you know, I think our culture, I think it's not that the mindset lets them down. It's that, it's that our culture becomes complacent and, and accepting of, of, you know, being overweight is, you know, in, in America, it's, it's unfortunately common. I don't have, again, I don't have the data in front of me, but, but a large population of, of America and even nationwide is, is severely overweight. And so you have to know that there are some risks associated when you're healthy, and so many diseases that, that people come up with, you know, diabetes for one, knee problems, back pain, you know, and sleep apnea, all a lot of those things are really only, you know, um, they're indicators of someone who's obese. And, and certainly you can have those ailments without being obese, but the obesity adds to that. And so now if you're now battling medical issues that are strictly related to your obesity, then you have to then say, wait a minute, you know, can can we can we somehow fix or manage or cure the obesity issue, and will that take care of the other? I, I've seen so many people in my podcast. I get, you know, dozens of folks who write in, who started their journey and they're down fifty hundreds of pounds, and all of a sudden they redo their blood work and they've completely taken themselves off of high blood pressure medicine. They've completely removed themselves from diabetes medication, and that's simply by them finally 
understanding that living healthy is really the goal. But would you not argue that it's um, America's not going to change because obviously it's a capitalist country. It, it, it's those those big businesses have kind of got a foothold now, and they're going to do everything they can to probably impose that power, however however way they can. Yeah, that that that's the battle right there, right? And, and you know, one of the things I say in, in a lot of my talks is that right now in America or probably nationwide, there are scientists sitting in a room looking at food, trying to figure out a way to make it taste better so that it's more addictive so that you buy more. There are marketers who are who are making the package look better simply for the fact that 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 the package becomes appealing to the eye and your hand grabs it and you bring it home. And so there are people that the whole country, the whole world is against us in that regard because you're right, is is the end result is to sell more food, to sell more product. At, at you know at maybe not even caring about the health industry and so so that's why the voice of, of folks who need to say you know hey we need to put a stand to this to some extent there is a lot of personal responsibility that comes into play I'm not a, I'm not a fan of government oversight I'm not a fan of someone saying okay let's stop selling this I'm a fan of educating folks and letting them make a decision of hey here's the stuff you're consuming you know there may be a time and a place for this and, and there certainly is but but is it daily? You know, is that going to align with your goal? Is it going to help you to get to where you want health and fitness wise? And so now it's us against the marketers, us against the food industry, us against the restaurant industry. And so it just becomes this a war of a whole different kind. And it's the thing I say, you know, it, it, we now have a war on obesity. And that's my job is, you know, being a military guy. And so I've kind of shifted my focus to I'm now at war trying to combat obesity and, and hope other folk can join in and, and get themselves to a much better, healthier place. But would you not go a step further that, Mike, and say that it, if people can kind of overcome what is quote-unquote an addiction, they're in a better place to obviously, well, not succeed, but go in the right way to achieving what the goals they set out? Yeah, and, and so, but, you know, it's not... Uh, you know, things about addiction is, is often you can't just just end an addiction. You have to replace it with some other addiction in a, in a lot of ways. And and so, you know, if you have a food addiction, you need to replace it with maybe a reading addiction or maybe a, a workout addiction. And you have to kind of find that new lifestyle that's going to that's going to give you whatever it is you want. But but most people don't believe that they can do it. You know, and so in my case specifically, you know, I've been day in and day out for 20 some years living the same routine, eating the same junk food. I never really thought that, hey, maybe I should stop doing that. And and, and actually just the opposite is is when I started eating healthier, you know, fruits and vegetables weren't my friends at all because I'd never really uh, acquired the taste of them. And now, a perfect example, today at lunch, I had a fruit cup for lunch, which is something I almost never would have ordered years ago, but I start craving that healthier food. And so there's there's a whole, there's a couple different things that you got to battle is, is it's not just willpower for someone to completely change their life is there are some medical things that, you know, working with a doc that we can figure out and diagnose, but, but a big part of it is you have to understand what, what is possible and what is capable and work towards that. And Mike, now if we look at Operation Fat Dad, what were some of the, the numbers of personnel that were being lost uh, before you started that um, goal that you had? Yeah, so so I'd come in uh, a couple different speaks uh, that I, I have an opportunity to meet with the Army Guard 
and they bring me into a room of folks who were at their last, basically their last chance. And, and so they've gone through some fitness uh, assessments. They didn't do well. They've got to the point where, um, you know, they've been given some training and given some counseling and, and I, they bring me in to come in at the last chance to say, Hey guys, you know, here's how I did it. Here's a success story of what you're trying to do as possible. And, um, you know, every time I go into the talk, you know, there's, there's 30 to 40 people in the room and, and that's just one small unit in the state of Indiana. And so if you magnify those numbers across the country, it's, I mean, the, the results are star- staggering. The United States Navy just released a policy not long ago where they said they're no longer going to kick people out strictly because of their, you know, being overweight and not fail- and not passing a fitness test. And they estimated there would be 40,000 people would be caught up in this new policy as, you know, careers being saved because they're not kicking them out. Now, granted, you know, there, there's some other things they're going to do, so it's not exactly a free pass. But um, but it, it's very easily, you know, hundreds of thousands of people nationwide. And then you take it one step further is, you know, we understand that generally speaking in America, the, the kids who join the military, you know, out of high school, most of them have been exposed to the military lifestyle in some way, shape or form. And so what what happens is is because their mom and dad have served, their uncle has served, maybe their you know a, a, a close relative has served, and so they are propensed to join the military. But but if they're living in an environment where where they're not eating healthy and fitness isn't a priority, then now you know we estimate that that roughly seventy percent of of the American kids today are ineligible to serve, and a lot of that is because of their own obesity as well. And so so our program aims to go right down into not only to the actual military member getting the household healthy so that now, you know, if those kids want to serve later down the road, they have the opportunity to, they won't be disqualified strictly because of their weight. But then this idea brings to mind, Mike, obviously overseas, uh, be it posts or bases, the, the food that's readily available is, I, it, until I started talking to you, it didn't spring to mind, obviously that's fast food. The only exception would be if you went to the commissary. Is that would some people in the U.S. be shocked to see that that's the same occurrence, obviously, stateside as well? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Every time I've deployed, it didn't take me long to find a Burger King on post or, or a pizza joint on post. Uh, and so you, you, we, we start – it goes back to – you know, a lot of it goes back to the earlier conversation we talked about is, you know, chasing that corporate dollar. And the, and the corporations, they they know that. And so they want to be able to provide the service to bring in this fast food and, and bring in stuff that we deem as, as needed. And the reality is it's not needed. But, but our society has gotten so used to having that everywhere we go that, you know, we can't deploy without it. And so, no, it, it's it's a bigger issue and you have to – you know, it's so hard. You know, it's kind of like, you know, the smoking epidemic years ago. You know, back in back in the seventies, everyone was smoking, and through education, we finally said, "Wait a minute, you know, this this isn't healthy. This isn't good for you." And so, I predict that in the next ten, fifteen years, we're going to have this same mindset shift to to the soda industry, and to the fast food industry, and to, into the chips and the snack food industry. You know, it's never going to go away. It's always going to be some subset of the population that that wants it and needs it you know, at least based on their own need. But but by and large, you can start educating folks. And, you know, in my case in particular, I was I was 12 sodas a day. I would wake up to a to a to a Coca-Cola and I would go bed, I'd go to bed with a Mountain Dew on the nightstand and to the tune of 12 sodas a day. And and I, and I started realizing that my acid reflux and my heartburn and, and uh, you know, my high blood pressure, a lot of that was attributed to the to the just sheer amount of caffeine. And I was drinking almost no water as well. I was just drinking complete soda. 
And uh, overnight, I just finally decided that enough was enough. I completely stopped it based on seeing enough research that it probably wasn't the best you know, drink of choice. And that was uh, two and a half, three years ago. I haven't had a drop of soda since. But what would you, what would your argument be for this for the the companies that do follow the the military overseas that they would say that it's they are serving like their home comfort and like a food away from away from home? Yeah, and, and that's absolutely they're right, you know. And so I have no issue with them if that's a service they want to provide. But what I think how we combat that is we educate the service members, we give them other options in addition to those. And then let them make the choice. And and through an education process, I think one by one, you'll slowly start seeing that that those companies will no longer find it profitable profitable to be in those environments because we've educated the force enough to say, listen, this isn't this isn't how you sustain your your body. You know, it, there are better alternatives and options. And uh, you know, it, it's a it's a big challenge, right? It's a, it's a lot to do, but. You know, I would venture, you know, you know that back in back in the Vietnam era, you know, we used to put cigarettes in the rations and, and so we would give the soldiers cigarettes and now we don't even do that. And the reason we don't do that is because they've determined a couple different things. But but one of the things is they've determined that it's not profitable for them to do that anymore. But you, you brought up this argument, Mike, that obviously more kids nowadays, even they've got a family member who served in the armed forces, are becoming over, uh, overweight. Do you think that 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 has become the case because they are becoming more sedentary, or do you think it's because that quote unquote unhealthy food is readily available? Yeah, I think it's a combination of of all of that, right? And so certainly it's it's a lot cheaper and easier to go. You know, you can go down to McDonald's on the dollar menu. You can get a you know you can probably get a meal for three bucks, and if you want to buy an apple or a banana, it's going to cost you three bucks to get a single one of those. And so, you know, the 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 junk food is more readily available. Combine that with you know certainly you know back in the day, you know you you couldn't go outside without seeing all the neighborhood kids running around the neighborhood. And now it's slightly different. Our culture has shifted a little bit where where we're not out as much as we are. But then it goes back to the to the you know the big point is. I listened to a podcast today, and I forget the doctor's name, and I apologize, but but he was basically saying that when we ask someone their medical history, and we ask, you know, did your mom have high blood pressure? Did your mom have diabetes? And it's not entirely because of those those ailments are hereditary, but what a part of that is is those ailments are gen, are um, are uh, environmentally impacted and so so the environment that you live in if you grow up eating unhealthy and your mom is is unhealthy because she eats unhealthy then it's going to be easier for her to continue to buy the unhealthy food and and perpetuate that cycle down so then it steps in as an education piece and so you have you know this kind of the trifecta of of you know is is we're we're sedentary the the you know the the unhealthy stuff is more readily available and then on top of that, you know, there isn't a three-year-old on the planet that can drive to the store on their own to eat themselves. So they have to eat whatever's being fed to them from the family. And, you know, and so that is, it's coming upon, you know, start at the top, change that mindset as best we can, and then also grow it from the bottom. And hopefully somewhere in the middle, we make that, that complete change. But I would probably argue the different point, uh, the other standpoint is because I think it's probably me generalizing a little bit. I think... Myself growing up in that environment as a youngster possibly had an impact on the kind of way I've gone down in life. I don't know. You could probably not generalize and say everybody uh, that grew up in that environment in the military has gone the same way. I, I could argue possibly because I think 
off the top of my head, like fifty percent of my graduating class has gone into the military, and I well, I would see in pictures nowadays. I think most of them are in fairly good shape. Yep. Yeah, and, and so you're, you know, there's outliers for everything, and so it's the same exact you know um, uh, notion is that you know obviously same you know when I graduated high school as well is I was in the best shape of my life at high school up until now I'm in way better shape now than I, than I was when I graduated high school but I graduated high school you know 140 150 pounds and so you know it didn't until you know when I went off to college for the first year those those bad habits were. You know, it was very easy for me or I had to start making my own decisions, I guess. And and because everything was readily available, I wasn't educated on on the, you know, hey, there are some better choices out there. And I just kind of went with what was easy. And, you know, every every single college campus has a pizza joint around the corner, you know, and, and trust me, I still get my good fair share of pizza. But but not to the same level of, of what I used to do, because I understand now that it has a place in society. It has a role you know, but mostly as a treat, not as nutrition. And, and so I completely ne- uh, neglected the nutritional side. I was simply eating for pleasure, and, that, and that's not the recipe for success. But then the, the, the young people of today might argue that obviously metabolism has a main factor to play on the, the nutrition they eat. I, I would probably argue it's like, well, you could f- fall on a different spectrum. You could have a fast metabolism or you could have a slow metabolism. It doesn't matter what age you come. If it starts to get towards that, that slowing down, that's when you've got problems. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And so, and, and that's that kind of helps mask some of the issue, right? If someone has a fast metabolism and, and they're able to eat, you know, you've all seen these people, right? They can eat whatever they want. They can't gain a single pound. Uh, and so, so if in that scenario, you know, almost all of us that catches up to us, whether it be in our 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, somewhere down the road. Uh, you know, that it does make a shift. And, and so, you know, perfect example for me, again, in, you know, in high school, I was an athlete, I, I was very busy, we lived on a lake, I was swimming all the time, always doing something to, you know, to, to keep my metabolism going. So, so it enabled me to make poor eating choices. And then when I slowly, you know, you know, left the house and, and now had the opportunity, and then, you know, the computer age started, you know, you sit more time in front of a computer than you do outside running around. That starts creeping up, and so all all that happened is all those bad habits that for so long I was able to get away with, they caught up to me because my metabolism one slowed down and my activity slowed down with it. So so the argument now would be is okay now we step back in all the way at the very beginning, and you know and certainly if your mom if you're listening I love you, but but if mom would have started me off early on. You know, with, hey, you know, you need to eat two servings of vegetables and you need to eat some fruit. You need, you know, quit drinking soda for breakfast, quit eating Doritos for breakfast, even though she said those things, right? She, she certainly was trying to help me, but still we enabled it to happen to some extent. And, of course, I'll take responsibility. But but as I, you know, then moved out of the house, is that was, again, more readily available and more easy. And I just continued living that unhealthy lifestyle where, you know, it just started happening with me gaining and gaining and gaining. And, and again, I, I point back to, you know, from the standpoint of the military. So I, I joined the military roughly 140, 150 pounds, somewhere in that range, went off to basic training and, and you know, maintained that. And, and so from the course of the very first day I was in the military to, to now, I ended up gaining, you know, close to 100 pounds and, and no one along the path said anything about it. And so so what happened is, is I graduated basic training. I have a fitness test at the end of basic training. I pass it with flying colors. I get to my first duty station and then I start having to live on my own, making my own choices. I'm not educated enough to make the right choices. 
you know, and I don't know the numbers exactly, but gain 10, 15 pounds the first year, go on another year later, gain another 10, 15 pounds, all the while still able to pass my fitness test. So it's not alarming. And then, you know, when you look at the point where I finally ended up failing a fitness test, I was, you know, 250 pounds. You know, so if someone joins at 150 and then they get to 250 and, and we don't say anything to them, not even, you know, not even a, hey, are you okay, until they fail a fitness test. That's where that's where we want to step in and say, listen, you, you, you weighed me every single year. You weighed military members. I get an annual physical. You know, at some point we should step in. And we know there are periods in life where people were, you know, have incremental weight gain. Going off to college is one, loss of a parent, getting married, all of those life uh, scenarios – they cause you know society to, to somewhat gain weight because they're just they're emotional times and and they're um, there are points we can kind of point the data to see that and so so our argument would be is that okay so if we know someone joins the military at 18 we know the likelihood of them between 18 and 25 to gain 20 30 pounds is significantly higher we should step in at that point and help them with the education and help them with some fitness goals help them with some eating goals then and see if we can kind of combat that that 30 pound weight gain uh, regardless or not if they can pass a physical or pass their physical fitness test because that that isn't the true indicator whether or not you can pass a fitness test isn't the 100% indicator and so because i was able to pass the test it just kind of it, it just worked and then so i i ended up passing the test many many years in a row but but even you know 50 60 70 pounds higher i was still able to pass the test but i'm not i wasn't healthy you know, and so at some point we we now need to step back and say, listen, let let's kind of let's start from day one. Let's monitor, you know, a soldier or an airman's career, and and just kind of provide them the tools and education along the way, so that they can continue to live healthy. But in your opinion, Mike, during that time frame, do you think the test possibly got slightly easier, which some of the the other forces would agree would probably say that was the case? And do you think? By the time you reach 250 pounds, do you think the actual service said to us, okay, this is we need to actually do something because by the other standards, we're a laughing stock? Yeah, no, I, you know, the Air Force has gone into a, you know, this fit to fight warrior mindset. And so actually the Air Force fitness test has gotten, I would say, a little more stringent over the years. And when I first joined it, you know, it wasn't as regimented as it is now. And so now we understand that, again, that the battlefield's changing and, and everything's changed. So we are looking for airmen who are we call fit to fight. So the standards have, have actually become, you know, a little more intense. And so, you know, you know but again, if, you, you know, if you're looking at from the Marine Corps perspective, they may, they may look at us and say, okay, we, we can do that fitness test. But, but I promise you there are folks in the Marine Corps who, who would have a hard time passing the Air Force fitness test. And it's those individuals that we're talking to. The guy that on his own wakes up and you know eats a tree for breakfast and goes run 50 miles because he enjoys it. That's not who we're addressing in this scenario. We're we're addressing that that person who joined as a fit athlete, who then because of their life choices and, and maybe some medical issues they have going on, that then now uh, needs a little more help and guidance along the way. But what do you, do you think? It comes down to personal circumstances as to why they've got into that predicament in the first place. Yeah, you know, I believe that plays a role, sure, but I don't believe it's the end all end all. I think there are there are some people that 
that you know beyond any control of their own because of some medical issues and you know obesity is a disease in a lot of ways and so every single person you have to you know obviously work with your doc to figure out where you fall in that line but but there is there's there's a mental side of it there's a physical side of it and then there's an environmental side of it too so it's like every single you know addiction just just because there's alcohol in the house doesn't make me an alcoholic but but there are some people that don't don't have they have a chemical you know issue in their brain that that it treats it differently and so you know certainly not being a doctor i, I don't have all the answers on that but but i don't believe it's 100% you know it, you can't just will it away you can't just say if you're overweight you just can't 100% with the with the entire population Say well, you know, eat right and and work out more, and it'll be okay. There are there are certain you know other people that need more intervention than that, and and it's a bigger problem than than what we know. Well, yeah, I think you raise a good point there, Mike. If it was that easy, obviously we wouldn't be in the stage we're at right now. But if 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 we come out from a different point of view, isn't the military and you probably addressed this a little bit at the beginning of the show? fault as you say because you touch upon obviously they do very much what they can for drug addiction alcoholism uh, and get gambling and i think because i grew up overseas that was readily available obviously on the ones no afn that was on instead of commercials so you would see it or probably growing up i probably could to this day where we could recite what was going to come up on the television now because of those adverts Right. Yeah, you know, I think there's a couple of different factors in it. And, and so by and large, uh, the military leadership are folks, you know, in order for them to make it into leadership roles, they probably had this healthy fit mindset their entire life. And so they've been able to maintain their career. They've been able to maintain their fitness. And so a lot of times, you know, folks who are helping create, craft and create policy are folks who've never really lived with the problem. So, so that is, you know, is the critical flaw is that you have to find folks who've lived with the problem, who've solved the problem on their own, bring them in as part of a team to help other people who are struggling with it. And so, it's not as simple as, as you know, you know, just continue saying eat less and, and work out more, or or having suicide prevention issues. And so, those issues, you know, they they've actually formed teams and studies and research. I think again, it goes back to is so many people just make the assumption. That you know, I've heard it many times in my career. That people just made the assumption that because I was overweight, I was just I was lazy, you know, and and just didn't care. And nothing could be further from the truth. Is you know, it actually pained me to not be able to pass this test. And you know, I would try so hard. And and I, it's funny, I I would um, I would come home from work and I, I would say to my family, I'm like, Hey, listen, I have a test in, in a couple of weeks, and and you know, help me. And at the same time, I'm I'm asking for help. I'm digging into a bag of chips. You know, and so, so how, you know, how can you in one sentence say, help me, help me, help me at the same point, you can't even help yourself. And so that's why I say there's, there's way more to it than just saying, you know, eat less and, and then don't even add, you know, don't even get going on, on societal pressure of, you know, it's not often, or I mean, not very rare for my phone to ring and say, Hey, let's go out for a drink. Let's go out for beer. Let's go out for dinner. And, and, you know, at some point you have to continue to turn down all these social engagements to, to hit this goal. But the reality is, is they can be managed if you understand what the bigger picture is. But that's a difficult one, be, be it from uh, possibly a military perspective sometimes, because obviously you have functions within, within your units uh, and whatnot, be it promotions, whatever. Obviously, those you can't turn down. Right. No, it's funny. And so this, I have a funny story for this, and it's um, – so I'm full time, but but one week in a month we bring all of our members in. You know, all of our part time members they come in, and and uh, and I've been doing this for in in Indiana now for about six years, 
And when I first got here, I didn't think anything of it. And so I'd come in on the weekend. And so all of a sudden, you know, during the week, there's just a handful of us. And during the weekend, during training, you know, it grows up to a much, much larger audience. And so I would come in on the drill weekend. And I would walk into the break room, and, and there was a box of Dunkin' Donuts in the break room. And so I knew uh, after months and months of going through the cycle that, that they would buy two dozen donuts. In the two dozen donuts, there would be you know there would be one glazed, and there would be one chocolate frosted, which were my two favorite donuts. So I knew that on a drill weekend, if I wanted to get those two donuts, I had to get there early so I could get in the front of the line and grab them. And so, so many, many months I go through this, I, I would come into drill I, on my first stop would be in the break room. I'd grab a donut, head off to my desk. And, and so as I started, you know, making the change and, and I started realizing that was an unhealthy habit. So I purposely quit going in there. And so there was a period of time where I, I just completely quit going in there because I just knew I didn't have the willpower to resist it if I saw it. So I had to make the choice to stop it ahead of time. Then after many, many months, I, I ended up walking in the break room one day, uh, you know, in the middle of lunch, and there was, you know, a, a tray full of, you know, of course, the donuts were there, but there was, there were apples and cherries and bananas and oranges, and I was like, oh, this is interesting, and I went to the guy who bought all the fruit, and I said, I said, Phil, I, I appreciate the fact that you bought fruit, you know, I'm trying to get healthy, I'm trying to take care of myself, so, you know, I'm really glad to see that you've stepped up and you're providing healthy options, and he looked at me, and goes, what do you mean, Mike? I'm like, well, I'm just, I'm glad to see you there here, because we've always had fruit. You know, so so I kind of laughed because early on, I never even saw it. We had a whole table full of stuff, but my brain was not programmed to see it because I was so focused on seeing the things that I wanted. And so now now I'm noticing at more of these social engagements and retirements and functions is it's well, two things happen. One, people are asking for healthier choices. But two is my brain is actually able to see that there are other options out there besides strictly the cake and the punch. Um the last one I went to, there was a whole fruit bowl. And I, and I so what I do, it, the term I, I use is, is go vote with your fork or vote with your wallet. And, you know, if I go to these events and I see a tray of fruit, I grab a whole stuff, whether I want it or not, because I'm sending the message to them that the fruit got eaten. So that the next engagement, you know, if, if they go through every retirement and throw away a whole bowl of fruit and the donuts are empty, they're going to buy more donuts. So I send the, the opposite message. I'd rather have the donut box be full and the fruit tray be empty. And that sends a signal back to them to, to buy more fruit for the next event. But Mike, would you not argue, obviously your story brings up a, a good point that you're kind of, because you kind of fixated with the sugar element, be it the donuts and whatnot, you kind of have a sense of tunnel vision and everything else that doesn't kind of hit that craving kind of gets lost. Yeah, it's it's entirely true, right? And you know, it, it's kind of the the analogy I use is is you know is, is buying a new car. And so you go to you go to the car lot, and and the first thing you do is you walk around, and you're looking for that perfect car, and you look around, and you don't see anything. Then all of a sudden, on the side of the lot, you you see this this shiny blue, you know, whatever. And all of a sudden, you look, you're like, wow, that's that's a beautiful blue. I've never seen that blue before. I've never seen that car before. And and you and you buy it. And you're like, oh, and you're so proud, and you get the keys, and you drive off a lot, and what happens is as soon as you're driving home, you pass four more of the exact same car, a car you've never, ever seen before, because now your mind finally is able to see it because you've finally broken whatever whatever you used to be able to see. You're now looking in the in a different direction. And so I've used that mindset knowing that that if that's how our brain works, is, is what we're used to seeing is what we continue to look for. 
then I've now realized that if we want to completely change our life, what we have to do is is, is stop looking for the negative in every scenario. Stop, start looking for the positive. And so there, there was a point in, in my journey where in order to break that cycle, I actually had to take a pen and a paper and, and actually used a, a dry erase marker. And I started writing on my bathroom mirror all of the amazing things that were going on in my life. And, and so many of them were simple as I have a roof over my head. I have running water. We have hot water. You know, we have internet, you know, and, and you know, we have, I have two wire. My house is so big. I have two wireless routers. You've seen that, that on the internet, right? And so when you start finally taking an inventory of everything that's going well in your life, then you're now programming your brain to start looking for more of that. Whereas just the opposite, if you start fixating on all the negative or the sugar, then when you walk in the break room, all you see is the sugar. So, so I'm now saying, let's, let's change the mindset Start looking for the positive in your life, and that's how you make the first start changes, and then that just kind of snowballs, and you look for more and more and more of it, and before you know it, it just it just becomes natural. If we come from this point of view now, Mike, obviously with your podcast, you look at wise advice. Do you think, in your opinion, the military is possibly healthier overseas than they would be if they were stationed stateside? That's a, a good question. I, I believe probably to some extent, and because every time I've deployed, I was able to able to lose some weight. But a lot of it is because a lot of the comforts of home aren't available on some of these bases. And you know, and you know, the duty day, at, you know, when you're deployed, the duty day is significantly longer. You know, I, I would imagine the step tracker. You know, now that we're not supposed to wear them because they start mapping out some bad places, right? But but you know, a step tracker of someone who's deployed probably has a lot more steps of someone who, who's stateside. But, um, but that you know that plays into the environmental piece. You know, your environment certainly helps control a lot of it. Uh, and then, but you know, if you were to take all of the creature comforts from home and we were able to, to replicate them all overseas, be, besides maybe the job details are going to be different overseas. But you know, the downtime would look probably very similar. But could we not go a step further and say, obviously not the ones who are in war zones, of, say the likes of Afghanistan and Iraq, but say in Germany, uh, Turkey, Italy, i obviously ne- missing a few out, but you get the gist of it. If the, that actual service member is in, well, how would I word this, kind of embraces the culture that is around them, do you think they will have a healthier lifestyle as a result? I think it's possible, right? I think, you know, if you look at any American base, we do a really good job of taking care of our military. And so every time, you know, everywhere they're at overseas is, is that almost inside the confines of the base, it looks very similar to American life and American culture. I mean, you know, all of the fast food chains are there and, you know, all of the restaurants are there on an, on a, I mean, not all of them, but on an installation. Now, but certainly out in the local economy, that is significantly different. So it all depends on, you know where where the you know what what community they're living in, but it still goes back to you know what's available and and what is their what is their goal what is their mindset what are they what are they trying to accomplish and because just because it's available doesn't mean that is their only choice if if they're willing to look a little deeper to make better healthy choices. So would you 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 agree that it would come down to the that that perspective of the individual and their mindset to embrace the community that they're in at large then. Yeah, you know, and I think, you know, m- many people want to do that. When when they deploy it, that's kind of one of the fun things is is to get out and experience other cultures. And, you know, of course the world's completely different now, but 
I, you know, years ago when I deployed, we, we lived on the economy downtown. And, you know, I'm not sure we'd get away with that in today's environment, but uh, but it was interesting and fascinating to talk to the local folks there. And, and you would literally, you know, people would walk miles and miles a day just in, in stuff that we would never do, uh, you know, as Americans in, in a lot of ways. And, you know, maybe some of us would, would do, but it, you don't have the same level of conveniences. So, so you rarely then, you know, it, it does take. You know, uh, the environment certainly plays into this, and so if if, if you don't have access to it, you, you certainly can't you can't get it. And would you, would you probably agree with this statement now that if you could probably replicate that environment to in this maybe a small scale and be able to bring it back stateside, it would put some people in a better position straight away. Oh, absolutely right. And so so it certainly would it. You know, and, and but. You know, but at what cost? And so that that goes back to your earlier conversation, where where you started saying that you know with with the American capitalistic society and, and all the food industries, and and we're going to make sure that if we were to build an uh, a um, an ecosystem, you know, of a hundred square miles of a, of a perfectly healthy community with with no fast food and a gym on every corner, you know, at some point, you know, McDonald's would be knocking on the door wanting to set up shop, and so it would be up to that population to say, you know, to resist it. But, you know, how do you completely change a culture? It it would be extremely difficult because everyone, you know, you'd have to almost be born into it and not know any better because, you know, society on every single television channel, you get commercial after commercial after commercial encouraging you to to make these choices. And, you know, one of the things I I did years ago is I kind of got rid of my television. So I don't even I don't see a lot of those commercials even anymore popping in. But um yeah, so it, it is, you know, if you could replicate that environment, bring it over here and, and make a small ecosystem, it would be a fascinating uh, control group to see, you know, what would happen in that group. But then it's a difficult one, Mike, because it's because it's been, well, quote-unquote successful, its reach is everlasting now. It's, it's probably in every facet of the world. You probably could find, probably find one anywhere if you wanted to. yeah. Yeah, you, you can, and you know, and now you know, with mobile technology, you know, we're, I mean, you know, here we are doing an interview for clear across the globe, and it's like we're in the same room, you know, and so, so you, you would have to take a, you know, in order to change the world, if you if you can't do it through the education process, if you were to try and you know take take a small group of people and put them in here, you would have to cut them off from society altogether, and then hopefully that society would grow out. But that's such a weird concept, right? That's just never it's never going to happen. But but that's almost how you would have to do it. You're gonna have to have to start over and, and shut them off and have them build up. But you know it, it's just a um, it's a pipe dream to think it happened. So there you have to step back one step further and just and say you know there are so many opportunities out there. Here is the, here's the here's the good choice. Here's the you know I don't think there's a such thing as a bad choice. I, I think there are there are things that are better for you than others. And so you've got to get to the point where. Where you've just educated the individual, the individual makes their own decisions, and you know, as young children, you know, the parents have to understand the, the ramifications of those decisions and teach that all the way down. And you know, it's probably a you know ten fifteen year dream, but it really it's possible through education. But you do bring up a good point there, Mike, in terms of cutting people off from their environment. Okay, it's probably a militaristic way of looking at things because obviously you do it in basic training. <laughs> to a certain extent, depending on what armed forces you're in. But if you did that to a small group of individuals, it is at what cost? Because obviously you're going to, you're breaking down that individual 
So what gain they may get from that, you probably have to look at it maybe in a humanistic way and say, well, what does, what are they going to also lose as a result of that? Well, absolutely, right? And so, so many people lose their identity in that sense, right? And so the same thing, when we when we start military basic training, one of the first things they do, you shave everyone's head, you, you take the clothes off their back, you give them all a uniform, so every single person looks identical. You know, you don't, you know you're no longer in there as Mike. You're, you're now airmen. You're in the same group of, po- of people, so you've lost your identity. If we were to do the exact same thing in this in this futuristic society of, of a shell of people, you know, you would have to break them down. And, and one, no one's going to sign up for that, for one, you know, because people don't want to lose their identity. And two, you know, you, you wouldn't be able to control it. So what we do is we, we start, you know, we break them all down to, 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 the, to the most basic form, and then we build them up as a team. Uh, and become highly successful. So if you take that analogy and you were to shift it, you say, okay, now, you know, let, let's go, let's go real raw on this and let, let's, you know, label it what it is. And if there are food choices that are just not as good as others. Let's educate on what the good ones are and then, uh, you know, break that down and have people uh, only make those choices. But the reality is at some point, someone's going to have to say no to going out to dinner. I have to say no to going to a football game. I have to say no to going to a soccer game. But the reality is, is that is that you can go to all those events. You can still do all that stuff, but it takes a little more preparation. You know, for instance, if you know, if we were to go out to dinner tonight or, or to a sporting event tonight, you know, one of the first things I would do from my own pre-planning is I would say, you know, what, let's eat dinner on the way. That way, I can control it. And then when I'm in that environment, I know that you know I had dinner 20 minutes ago. I don't need to eat just because I'm in this environment where everybody else is eating. Uh, but that takes some some mental fortitude. To really one the pre-plan and two to, to understand you know that you're you're controlling your own intake at that point. But then would you not argue obviously that American psyche? Obviously, you bring a good point with the sporting event. It's taking a step further because obviously now you can order your seat. So it's not <laughs> not not only not not uh, moving out your seat to exercise to so go get something that is nutritionally not the best for you. Now you're not doing it at all. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's so funny. I mean, even now, um, and I'm going to go on a little tangent, but yeah, I mean, you can go to a sporting event. You, you know, they'll bring it right to your seat. You know, we have DoorDash as an app. I, I could right now, I could order food, have it brought to my house. I don't even need to go anywhere. Um, but but I understand that in, in my scenario is that knowing that those are available, those are great conveniences. And so, you know, I'll be honest with you. If I'm going to a, to a sporting event, they're, they're part of that enjoyment is some of the food offerings that are there. But but if I'm relying on that as my nutrition, that's where the issue is. If I'm relying on that as my entertainment, I'm relying on that as, as some fun, and I'm able to control and manage it, then I believe it has that place in society. And uh, a good friend of mine was talking about, you know, if you go to a, to a football game overseas or, or soccer overseas – you know, and you watch the crowd, very few people are eating and drinking. But if you pan to any sort of sporting event in America, you can't go three seats without someone who's holding a bag of popcorn, who's holding a hot dog, who's holding a beer. But but watch a European sporting event, and it doesn't, you know, you don't see that to the same tune that you see it in the United States. But why would you think that is? I think if you look at it from the soccer perspective, uh, they've done that from the alcohol perspective for... So I've been told for the safety of the the players. <laughs> well, that makes sense too, right? But but so but again, you know, there's so many things in life that you know if they're if they're not available, you're going to be okay. 
And so it's not our job to regulate that, but it's our job as um, as consumers to to guide that consumer needs. And so the more it's the signals we send. If you know if you continue to purchase and, and buy it, then you're sending the signal to them to continue to produce more. And so you know if a, if a soccer event overseas, if if you know, limiting the sale of alcohol was obviously for the safety of the players. I, I, I get that. If you watch some of those games, uh, you guys get pretty heated with, with some of that stuff, and it makes perfect sense. But but so someone now has stepped in and says, you know, we're smarter than you. We're going to – because you can't control yourself, we're going to control this for you. Not necessarily a fan of that, but in their ecosystem, then that's the decision they've made. Uh, you would hope to think that people would make their own personal choice, but – um, you know, sometimes leaving people up to their own choices is not in their best interest in some cases. But it's a dangerous slope. I definitely agree. And my final question for you, Mike, before we wrap up the episode. If you had to summarize what we've been talking about today into into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? The one sentence to summarize our conversation would be that... Um, this is this life that you're living is, is yours. Uh, you get to make the choices that benefit you and put you in wherever you want to be. It should be so enjoyable that the choices you make align with your health and fitness goals and, uh, and you live happily ever after. I think some wide words. So once again, Mike, thanks for coming on the mindset game podcast. An honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It's been my pleasure. And before I forget, I would really appreciate it if you would be so kind as to leave a short review as it helps to get the podcast more notoriety and it will be more visible in future to others and thus helping more people, which my guests and I are all about. Once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Mindset Game Podcast.